Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed, universal, heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0. Bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I am Adam Green. He is Brett Barry. And, Brett, let's just get right to it. Uh, Arizona hosted the Oregon schools last week, and we knew it was a big weekend series. We knew it was a big homestand for Arizona because Oregon State had just slaughtered them in Corvallis. How would Arizona respond against them on Thursday? That answer that was answered pretty early. Very, very well. Arizona just cruised in that game. It helped that Trace Tinkle got ejected, deservedly, so you don't elbow people in the face and expect to have nothing happen. So that was fine. Arizona won that game very handily. It was never even close. 89-63 was the final, and there was really nothing bad to take away from that game, which was good because everyone was curious about the Saturday matchup against Oregon. That was the big game. You had to take care of business against Oregon State to get to Oregon mattering. And that was a really good basketball game, really entertaining. But like a, every other really entertaining basketball game the Wildcats have played this season, Arizona lost at the end. Beating Oregon is our new Elite Eight game. We just can't quite get past it. <laughs> well, when, when Peyton Pritchard goes Sam Decker on you, that you know that can happen. Yeah. No, I, I mean, the Oregon State game, you saw the things you wanted to see. You saw, Everything. You saw guys bust out of their, their slumps a little bit, like Josh Green, and you know he was scoring well. Nico Mannion played within himself, played pretty well. You know, six assists to one turnover. Uh, you know, all, all around a pretty nice effort. Max Hazard, I think, you know, hit a, hit some shots. You know, it's you started to see some of those things like, all right, they're maybe starting to put it together. And to be honest, it actually kind of carried over into that Oregon game to a large extent. It was a fairly well-played game where nobody necessarily played badly. Peyton Pritchard was just, you know. He was otherworldly. He, uh, Peyton Pritchard, instead of uh, Anaheim Dylan Smith, it needs to be <laughs> against Arizona, Peyton Pritchard, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Well, like with the Oregon State game, like this is the only thing I'll really say is I was really excited. Not so much that everyone seemed to play well or that a lot of guys seemed to play well, but that in that game, the Wildcats to me showed a maturity that they hadn't shown in a lot of games this season. Like, yes, you could talk about revenge and their focus should have been there, and it clearly was, but they got the lead and they never let up in that one. Yes, it helped that Tinkle got ejected, especially once that happened. Arizona just took it to another level because at that point, Oregon State was wildly overmatched. But how many times have we seen Arizona this season wildly overmatch someone talent-wise and still struggle to bury them. And this is a team that has tr- had trouble putting opponents away, even at home and even lesser opponents like Oregon State. So I was I was very satisfied with that performance because it's like, yeah, you, you weren't looking ahead. You weren't so wrapped up in revenge that you were just weren't playing within yourselves. They played a very solid game. And like you said, certain players did step up. Coloco played 10 minutes in that game and looked good in that one, three block shots. Uh, Chase Jeter even played, had six points. It was that kind of game. Like Arizona played well. Is what you wanted to see to feel better about Saturday's game against Oregon mattering. And you're right. Like, And some of Arizona's losses this season, Brett, you would say, oh, the Wildcats didn't play well. 
And that's not to say Arizona was perfect against Oregon because they weren't. Clearly, if they were, they would have won the game. But it's hard to look at a player and say, that guy had a bad game. There were bad moments by a lot of players, especially at the free throw line. But for all intents and purposes, if you look at the box or even you watch the game, Arizona led for much of it. They kind of got down in the second half and came back and took the lead. And this was a game to me that was so similar. There were so many times where Arizona looked like they could have put it away. I forget what the score was, but Zeke Nagy had a, he got double teamed through a pass to Christian Coloco, too wide out of bounds. I think Arizona was like seven at the time. That's an easy dunk. You got the crowd into it. I'm not saying the game ends there, but those are the types of moments that you need to stop runs or to allow yours to continue. And Arizona didn't do it. And after that, Oregon comes back, ties the game, takes the lead. There were a lot of moments in that game where it's like, yeah, Arizona. <sighs> Remember in Eugene when Arizona lost that game in overtime by a single point, and it was like. That's a tough place to play, but Arizona was the better team. But you say, well, they blew it. It was the same damn thing in Tucson. Arizona was a better team than Oregon, and Arizona lost because of Arizona. And Peyton Pritchard, sure. But Arizona lost because of Arizona. We haven't even really talked about the free throws that would have won the game or could have won the game. But Arizona fell apart in a close game against a good opponent, which is kind of becoming a trend, and it's painful to watch. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm going to start off those those the the Josh Green and Christian Coloco free throws. They are and they aren't. They're they're not even necessarily the reason why we lose that game because of free throws. We missed seven other free throws collectively as a team. Yeah, you can't go what ten, 10 of twenty one from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they went what thirteen of fourteen or something like that on or uh, or eleven of fourteen. Excuse me. So they had one more point on free throws despite shooting <laughs> nine fewer. I think that one point mattered. Oh, okay. um, any one of those free throws would have made a big difference, sure. <laughs> yeah, and so and I mean, I don't know if anybody played horribly. Maybe you know Jamal Baker did not have a great game. I really was kind of a non-factor, but like some people were uneven. Like Nico Mannion played fairly well on offense. You know, he's still he has improved on defense, but he's still you know he's improved from being really bad. Uh, he was like, and he and like uh, Dylan Smith didn't add like it's funny to say this when you give up what 37 or 38 points to Peyton Pritchard but he played pretty good defense on them a bunch of times Christian Coloco switched off on him and yeah he buried a fadeaway three over Coloco's outstretched arms and yeah but I mean he Coloco even got him to either not take a shot or pass the ball out a couple times too or miss a shot um, Christian Coloco played great, other than the two missed free throws at the Which, end. Which, he was, what, 6 of 16 going into that? There was no way you were expecting him to make two. Yeah. You were just praying for one. But but that's the thing with this game. It's like, we've seen Arizona play bad. This wasn't a game that Arizona played bad. And depending on how you want to look at it, it's sometimes you lose a game and say, well, I'm glad they played bad because we know they can play better. And when they play better, they'll be good enough to win. The thing with this is, like, we knew Arizona was talented enough to play with Oregon. We feel like they're talented enough to beat Oregon. Like they've they've shown enough talent to play with anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. They just haven't shown the ability to beat anybody, like any good team in the country. And whatever plays you need to make, sometimes it's getting a stop. Sometimes it's getting a rebound. Sometimes it's making a shot. In this game it came down to making a free throw. And people will it's yes, it's not on Josh Green why Arizona lost this game. And who knows where his head was at when he was taking those free throws. But he makes one free throw at the end. Arizona is a... I don't know what their win probably would have been, but it was really hot. So I think it's safe to say if he makes one of those free throws, Arizona wins the game. Yep. 
And no, it's not. I'm not blaming him. He had a good game. It was a great drive to the basket. Like people want to talk about Arizona's play calling and Sean Miller, and we'll get to that too later. But that was a brilliant play call because it got you one either a layup, a dunk, or it sent a pretty good free throw shooter to the free throw line. You really can't ask for much more than that. And also, the ball rolled off and Zeke Naji tapped it in. Of course, the, the Pac-12 refs finally got a call right and called the foul. If they had just let him play, Arizona gets a layup to end the game. But so many things went right for Arizona in this game. Or at least not too many things went wrong, but enough of them did to where Arizona lost. And I, it's hard to see that again because at what point do we say, yeah, they're capable of playing in these games, but what makes us think they can win them? Because those little things, and I don't blame youth anymore. It's just, it's frustrating to watch because that's a game Arizona should have won. They seem to find new and creative ways to lose close games against good teams. Like this one was a, this was new. I've never seen them yeah. miss a combined four free throws. That if they make one of them, I guess they make the first one of the first two, they win. One of the second two, they go to a second overtime. But. When, and you know, if if they weren't talented, this would be you know this would be a moral victory in terms of even competing. Yeah. But a team this good doesn't have moral victories. This is like the opposite of a moral victory, and that's the story of this team. It's like you can never you you have an an immoral loss. <laughs> well, can you have moral victories? It's not, late not February. You, not you. Sh- you can't <laughs> have you can't have moral victories when you're a, a superior, talented team. Yeah, and and the fr- and one of, like aside from this game being frustrating, and it absolutely was, is that if you look at Arizona, they're now 19 and eight. They're fifth in the Pac-12. Moved We're, up a net rating though. Yeah, right. Because that makes sense. We're not going to talk about who's leading the Pac-12 because it doesn't matter, and because we this is hard enough as is. We don't need to discuss that. But of Arizona's eight losses, there's what four of them by are by one point. Uh, two to Oregon, ASU, and uh, I thought there was, I thought there was one more. Maybe it's three are by a point, like five are by a possession or less. Like, and the rest of them outside of outside only Oregon State and UCLA are more than two possession losses. Yeah, Gonzaga was four, St. John's was three, Oregon was one both times, Arizona State was one. UCLA was 13. Yeah, was so you, maybe the better way to say this to make me sound less dumb is that only UCLA and Oregon State were more than two possession yeah. margins, which tells you that Arizona can play with these teams. But it also tells you, given that, what does what's Arizona's record in one-score games? Like, I think they've lost all of them, right? <laughs> have, they won, have they won a one-score game? Like, USC ended up being a five-point game, yes, but it wasn't really a one-score game, whereas, I, I guess, think, Pepperdine, they think, won that game. I think Washington was a three-point game, if you want to call that a one-score game. Okay, so but yeah, so but their record in these one-score games certainly is not good, and, yeah. these, and their records, when it comes down to one final shot, has been miserable. Well, the, the the maybe the most frustrating thing is even in these losses, you know, I feel it, we can talk about how they seem to learn a different lesson every game, and there's at some point you run out of lessons to learn or time runs out, right? What else is there to learn in these well, games? What helps like, them win? I mean, I was I nearly fell out of my chair before that Josh Green play when we a had timeouts left to expend at a critical moment in the game, and then b we called a creative designed play to get somebody driving to the hoop that's a more and athletic like guy to play finish. worked it was it's what i've been asking for like you know <laughs> call a designed play that's not predictable and it's josh green going up and trying to dunk on a guy and not settling for a 10-foot jumper yeah he was aggressive he did everything right everyone did everything right except finish yeah and so you know is it is it partially on coaching sure but is it like in that moment sean miller saved his timeouts made an appropriate play call you know, uh, hell, getting Christian Coloco somehow fouled at the end of the other game is 
you know, with that's, like a sec, what one point four seconds yeah. left, and yeah. like I mean, it's so it's it's frustrating because they just keep finding ways to lose, and I, I mean, we're not surprised because you know, I, like I said two weeks ago after that the, that prior weekend, I gave up on having any expectations, good or bad, for this team. I expect the unexpected, which is to say, now I would be not shocked if they go on the road. But, or, or you know, and beat the L.A. schools. And, and, and that, that's the thing with this team, and that's why we've seen really good Arizona teams. We've seen less good Arizona teams. This team is both. But really, and that's exaggeration, they're a good team. The net rating is good. There was an, an article in The Athletic by Eamon Brennan talking about, like, they're a good team. They've just lost some of these games. And, yes, how different is Arizona's season if they beat ASU on the road, they don't blow that game, and they split with Oregon even? If they're 21-6 and six right now with those two wins, you're feeling a lot better about them. They're in the driver's seat to win the Pac-12, right? If they would have beaten St. John's, who they should have beat at another one, then that's a lot of teams you could say. If they would have won this game, they would have done that. But for Arizona, all these close games, it has been something new. Free throws was, that's that's creative, <laughs> to your point. Like, that's that's an extra, like, punch to the gun. It's like, they're free throws. <laughs> It makes me think of a high school coach uh, we played against in Yuma that would yell at his team really loudly in, in, in the small high school in Yuma and be like, they're free throws, they're free, take them. <laughs> take your free throws. And, and I was pulling up the stats and then my internet kind of conked out on me, but Arizona hasn't been a terrible free throw shooting team this season. They were in that game, they were against USC, which is why that game got a little bit closer than it should have been. So is it is it fair to say, and again, we don't know where, like Chris Coco didn't choke. He's just not a good free throw shooter. That's, yeah, you know, he shot free throws the way you'd expect. You just hoped he, I, like into Josh Pollock against ASU a couple of years ago, where it's like, I'm pretty sure he's going to miss this kick, but how great would it be if he made it? It's like, I was pretty sure Coloco wasn't making two free throws. I was even not confident he'd make one, but like how amazing if he just goes up there and sinks them both just because. But for Arizona, the unexpected never happens in a positive way. And I guess we have to hope in the tournament, Arizona doesn't play a close game. They blow out everyone, right? Six straight blowout victories because there's zero. Against ASU, when they lost that close game, they didn't really get a good shot off. It was like no one wanted to take the shot. In this game, they drew up a play. And yeah, people will criticize Miller all they want. He coached a good game. His yeah. play, and a coach's job is to put guys in position to succeed. He did that. They just did not. His players failed him, and that's you could blame coaching, get better players or whatever. I understand that, but this was a team effort and a team. It wasn't a collapse like ASU, but it was certainly a failure on Arizona's part because they had that game won multiple times and they could not finish. And the question is, how do they become a team that can? Do they have a finisher? Miller after the game talked about Alonzo Trier. He's like that guy. He'd go to the free throw line. You knew he was going to make him late. That matters. And this is a team, Nico Mannion had a, was fouled shooting a three. Great play by him to draw the foul. He missed two of the three free throws. Dylan Smith missed a free throw late. He missed two in the game. Um, Josh Gnauzi missed those last two. Coloco. Just everyone had a hand in this. And that's why it's, you could say if any one of those players does a little bit something different, they win that game. But they didn't. It took all of that to have Arizona lose to Oregon by one point. But it happened. And that's been continually happening against good teams. And maybe it's Peyton Pritchard, a veteran, knows how to play it then because he was he didn't score in overtime, but he no. ran the offense. He was a threat. You know, Juice says he's a veteran. He made the play. He scored what all seven of their points, I think, in overtime. Like they had one guy, 
Oregon's the post guy. Yeah, yeah, Justice. Yeah, like he got all. He was. He's a veteran. They wanted the ball. They knew what to do. Arizona. If it's a, is it a confidence thing? Do you think, Brett? Because I I don't know. You if, keep pointing to that. I don't know if it's confidence or you just don't have a true alpha leader on this team on the court at any given moment. You have a lot of guys that I think like to play well together, and I think Nico doesn't quite have the physical or mental maturity to be that guy. Josh Green doesn't have the outside shooting. Zeke Naji is a great player, but you have to get him the ball in the post, and he struggles with double teams. So, you know, who is your person that you go to when you need one shot? B and- Rabbit. That's uh, that's a bad joke. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, took, it took it took me a, it took me a second there to just digest that and kind of like chew on it for a second. And be like, like yeah, like mom's spaghetti. Yeah, uh, that's just that was more of a cheddar Bob joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's you know, so it's like this team is like it's like all of. It's it's like white light. They're like all of the colors at once at the same time, and you don't know what it's going to reflect in a given time. Like sometimes it might be brilliant, or sometimes it's just like you know, turd brown. <laughs> and yes, that's true. But if they're brilliant for thirty nine minutes and forty five seconds, and in the last fifteen when they need to make a play, like to be fair, they got to stop. <laughs> Pritchard missed a shot. The rebound goes out of bounds. I was off Zeke's hands, I think, and that's when they sub Coloco in. Like just. Anyone, Arizona's up at that point. They're up, up because Dylan Smith made what could have been the game winner. Dylan Smith drove the lane and hit that little runner. That's a great shot. It was. Dylan Smith played a great game overall, offensively too, and defensively. So like these guys stepped up. The players you wanted to see step up did. Nico wasn't bad in no. this game. He had a decent homestand yeah. compared to what he had been, how he had been playing. And Josh Green, like you mentioned, kind of got himself going. There weren't. I guess that's maybe a couple of days. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Is this a real Tuesday or a fake Tuesday like last week? <laughs> Definitely Tuesday, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so a couple of day, a few days have passed. It's easier to look back at the game and say, okay, this guy played well, that guy played well, this, this is what happened. And truth be told, and we keep saying this, is that did it really didn't matter. It doesn't matter much. Like, yes, because of that loss, Arizona's probably not going to win the Pac-12. And I disagree with our friend Saul Bookman. He said on his show that if you have to choose between the Pac-12 or the Pac-12 tournament, you take the tournament. No, I'd, I'd rather see my team win the Pac-12 because that means they were consistently good. Right? The Pac-12 tournament, you have to get hot for a few days. You're playing back-to-back days. Maybe someone's hurt or whatever. To win the Pac-12, you generally have to be good all season long. Like A, a good team wins the conference. Unless it's one of those years where like Colorado wasn't very good and they found a way. because, Or maybe what's going to happen this season, depending on who ends up finishing on top. But... That's all that this loss cost you standings-wise. Maybe a seed in the NCAA tournament, which I don't think really matters with this with this squad. So you look at it and say, okay, that, that's a burn. But the, the bad that comes from this game to me is only that the next time they're in a situation like this, you should have even less reason to believe that they'll come through. Otherwise, you could take some positives from it. Not moral victories, but guys played well. The, the biggest thing I think that you can take out of this game it's not impact and seeding. It's not even how the team is going to perform down the stretch necessarily. <laughs> the only thing that's actually the only needle that's moved is fans' emotions. And <laughs> we're all one step closer to the NCAA tournament now. Yeah, you know <laughs> like that that happened. 
And I mean, I get fans' frustration, but like, like we were talking about, Sean Miller's shown some growth in better play calls. Like, I fell out of my chair with that that great <laughs> call that was like, "Hey, that's what I've wanted." Um, but, and you know, how much of it is an amalgamation and a buildup of all the pent up frustrations of Wildcats fans just always being, you know. A Jamel Horn three-pointer from rattling in and beating UConn and being in a Final Four. Nick Johnson the, not getting the shot off. The two Wisconsin, you know, the two Wisconsin games. It's yeah. always, it's always, in like, I was thinking about that on the way over here. I was like, if if one of those teams had lost those games in the Final Four with Sean Miller, how much more of a leash would he have? Oh, which is crazy when you think it's a final. It's still the semifinals, right? But also, if Arizona gets by Wisconsin the first time, they probably win a national championship. If they got by UConn, they probably would have won a national championship. UConn did win that. I know, year. and Arizona was probably a better team than them. Yeah. At least Derek Williams was playing out of his mind. But you're right. Like If Sean Miller had a Final Four or two on his resume at this point, people are like, okay, these things happen. We we believe you can get them there. You, we believe you can coach a team to that level, and it hasn't happened yet. So that's part of this frustration, sure, because – this team has shown the ability to do everything but win these games. Yeah. If they sweep Oregon this season, Oregon's not ranked 14th in the country, but Arizona's looking a lot better with a sweep of Oregon that they should have had. They lost to Oregon by the absolute slimmest of margins you could lose to a team in basketball twice. They lost to ASU, who, okay, say, they're leading the Pac-12 right now. It's amazing the run they've been on. They lost them in Tempe by a point because Arizona blew that game, which I'm still pretty sure if Arizona doesn't, ASU doesn't go on the run they're on right now. It's impressive what yeah. they're doing, yeah. but their season should have ended in Tempe that night. That's the, the, We've seen Arizona teams have an ability to close, not this one. Yeah, <laughs> and you know the Pac-12 this year, you know, the jumbled mess that is the standings is a reflection of the jumbled mediocrity that the conference has kind of become. Because, like, Oregon's a good team, but, like, they're not a, they're not great. No, we've seen better Oregon teams than this one. They're, you know, I don't, I, I honestly don't have much faith in most of the Pac-12 teams moving very deeply. Because, probably for the best. You know, I think maybe Oregon, just because Pritchard is such a veteran, tough point guard and is such a good shooter and can get his own shot, but also facilitate for people. Um and then Arizona has probably the most talent, but they got they don't have any of that they don't have the consistency or the the toughness to show up, to show up yet. But if they go on a run, they can beat anybody, right? Um, and you know the other thing that I was thinking about, I because I was listening to Saul's show as well, and he was bringing up was it the Middle Tennessee State? Uh, he was they were going through yeah. like the bracketology where you know when U of A lost, I think they were a three seed that year, so it was a three fourteen matchup. You know, I, I say this because like. If Sean Miller has been to one Final Four, how much more goodwill he would have? Because people forget, in the early '90s, Arizona was the team that is the one that chokes in March because they, they couldn't. Get, but they had been to a Final Four, right? They've been to one, been and to then one. they lost as a. T- they were like the first two seed or one of the first two seeds to lose to Steve Nash of Santa Clara. They lost as a three seed to Middle Tennessee State, and then people forget about that because then they remember the '97 team, and then they're like, "Oh, Lou Olson is." You know, basketball. So what you're saying is Sean Miller is playing three-dimensional chess by (laughs) having an underachieving regular season, so they'll enter March Madness with zero expectations. Then he goes and makes the Final Four or wins a national championship. He's like, what a coach. I mean, I hope so. He took this ragtag bunch of five-star recruits and (laughs) just carried (laughs) them to a championship. A ragtag team of a bunch of five-star recruits (laughs) and one six-star. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as as full on Homer take, of course I want that to happen. Sure. But I'm just trying to bring some perspective, right? And it's you know I think that's where it's hardest on the the fans almost more than anybody. I don't think you need that perspective right now, though. 
No, and I don't think this Oregon loss. I think for a lot of people, I can't speak for everyone, anyone other than myself, but I imagine for a lot of people, it's just like, yeah, okay, fine. Would have been nice to see you win that game. You're still going to make the tournament. See if you can do something there, right? Because this was a this was a loss to Oregon again. If Arizona got beat by 25, you might say, well, geez, if they're not talented enough to hang with Oregon at home, but th- think of Arizona's two blowout losses were to Oregon State, who's not very good. And UCLA is actually playing really good basketball right now. That's it. Gonzaga did not run away from Arizona. Baylor did not run away from Arizona. Oregon somehow got past Arizona. Right? Uh, and uh, Grand St. John's is one of the weird ones because it's like that's not a very good basketball team either. But Arizona's been in all but two of their losses. All but two of them, they had a chance to win in the last three minutes. The problem is they're not winning those games. And if you look at the Pac-12, Arizona State's leading the conference. They have a veteran point guard. Oregon's right behind them, veteran point guard. They're followed by Colorado, veteran point guard. And I know going into this season, part of the excitement was, hey, Arizona has an elite point guard for the first time in a few years, an NBA-caliber point guard. You have Josh Green in the backcourt. Point guards win. And why do people say you need guard play in the NCAA tournament? Because in close games... You need a point guard who knows how to run the offense, can get a good shot, and can make free throws. Right now, Arizona doesn't have that, which is why they're losing these close games. The problem is, I don't know if they can all of a sudden get that onto their roster in the next month, right? Like, Nico Main is a good player. If you look at it overall, he's not having a bad freshman season. He's just having a freshman season for a point guard, which is tough. It's a tough position to play. He had high expectations. He might meet them in the tournament. Maybe he just goes on a run because perhaps this Oregon homestand caught him back on track a little bit offensively because, again, he wasn't terrible. He was passing the ball pretty well, some turnover issues, but he looked more like Nico Mannion. Maybe he, once the calendar turns to March, finds it again and is that type of point guard. But unless he's going to be that type of point guard, I can't see Arizona making that run. But that's why you're seeing the teams at the top of this really mediocre conference be there because they have really good lead guards. When I think of the people that could be that guy that gets the shot at the end, he's the one that could maybe be it. But right now, he's not that guy for a couple of like he was a decoy against Oregon, you know, and a good decoy. It was, it's a it good was play. a smart play. Yeah, and I mean, what what would the narrative be if Nico Mannion was instead of being the ball is life hype videos on YouTube, McDonald's All American? What if he was just like a top seventy five four star recruit? That people forget, I'm pretty sure he reclassified and is actually like relatively young for his class, which maybe explains some of the lack of, you know, physical maturity to be able to finish at the hoop. Um, you know, it's it's almost an expectations game. And in 10, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, college basketball, none of this freshman class leaves. They stick around for at least another year. And these guys with one more year would kill it and you're optimistic you say this is a growing year a learning year but 2020 and the 2020 21 season that's the year and that and that's the difference of 20 years ago college basketball and modern college basketball because now every modern college basketball team that's a blue blood is the the old michigan fab five that was the first one that relied on you know all freshmen like all blue chippers right yeah and you got to have an incredible amount of talent you got to have an incredible amount of balance you need to have confidence and I think this this group of freshmen is kind of halfway there, right? Like, you see all of their potential, but you also see some of their physical and emotional and mental immaturity at times. And the fears are not going to get past that this season, and by the time they do, they're not going to be in Tucson. 
right? Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I, maybe I have an unpopular opinion. I actually don't think Nico Mannion is is a surefire thing at all to be a good pro. In fact, I I don't think he's a lottery pick or should be, other than sheer potential. Um, but even then, I wouldn't probably. And I like Nico Mannion. No, you haven't seen NBA game out of him. Like well, if he shot the ball better. And he would, but he hasn't shot the ball well enough to say that guy can succeed at the next level. Ironically, if he took a little bit of Peyton Pritchard's game and toughness and molded it into his kind of skill set, because he's more physically talented than Peyton Pritchard. But Pritchard's older and been playing yeah, college basketball for a lot longer. And he's, and he's damn focused, and it showed up, and he's competitive as hell, right? Yeah. And he knows how to get his own shot. He's almost like a slower, like his step back is almost like James Harden-esque in the NBA, just in college basketball, where he can get his own shot when he needs to and do it effectively. Oh, and we didn't talk about Pritchard enough in that Oregon game. He kept them in it. Oh, he was like, just, It was ridiculous, some of the shots he was making. If he doesn't have that type of game, Arizona probably wins by double digits. But that's the type of player Peyton Pritchard is. He can keep a team in that game. Arizona doesn't have that guy. Like, the nice thing about Arizona is they have a bunch of guys who can have a good game, but there's not that guy who you can rely on to have the great game. Yeah, and I, I mean the our our clear best consistent player is Zeke Naji, but he's not necess- like he by necessity needs people to get him the ball and people to be able to play off of in terms of dishing for when there's yeah. double teams. Otherwise, you know, if you can't get him the ball, then he's not going to be scoring unless he's grabbing rebounds, which he's also great at and he gets you know a good number of his points that way, but you know, he's not the guy that you give the ball at the, you know, high, po- like 30 feet away from the basket and be like, get me a shot. He's well, just actually, not. talking about Zeke like that, I know Sean Miller in his press conference on Tuesday mentioned how they always want to get the ball to Zeke. Like, that's priority number one for this year's team. I think that's a good segue into our next segment here, Brett. We asked our listeners on Wildcat Radio to send in their thoughts about this team because, you know, we, as much as we like talking about Arizona and we think we're smart. There's probably a lot of you who disagree with us. So we wanted you just people to send in their thoughts about the team, their questions, so we could kind of respond to that and see where basically see where people's heads are at, right? Because Arizona at this point in this season, we've we've talked about it a lot where we're saying like we're just basically waiting till March Madness. That whatever this team does in the regular season, yeah, I'd rather see them win than lose, but none of what they do is gonna be judged until like the season's actually over. And at that point we'll be able to take stock and say, This is the Arizona Wildcats of this season. So we put it on Twitter, and we did get some responses. So we'll start here with Ralph Amston, who a lot of people know, think he's an ASU honk. He's not entirely. Just I think everybody, every fan base hates him, right? Everybody, every fan base thinks he hates you, at Ralph Amston. He just asked, yes, please explain why no give the ball to Zeke more. It's very – he made me say that on the air. I had to write, say, why no give the ball to Zeke more. He went. He t- adopted the tonal quality of one of our favorite Twitter friends, Jedi ASU. Yeah. The why you no give Zeke ball more. Yeah, yeah. But that that's a fair question, and we've said it's because they have a hard time getting it to him, and there's also defenses know that Arizona wants to get the ball to Zeke, and then when he does get in the post, he's doubled quickly. But certainly there are times, and what worries me about this, and he's not Lowry Markinen, but we all remember that game against Xavier when Markinen didn't take a shot late in the game, and it's like, Miller or someone on the floor, whether it's your point guard or your coach, probably your coach needs to recognize this at some time say, okay, let's take a break, get the ball to that guy. Hey, you tall guy who's our best player, you're going to make a move and shoot. I don't care what you do if you make it, but you're taking this shot. 
to get guys like that going because Zeke Najee is clearly Arizona's most reliable offensive player. And there really isn't much of an excuse for him not to get looks within the last three, four minutes of a close game. That's like what happened against Oregon. Yeah, I mean, there were times during that game where I think even the commentators uh, spoke about it on the air where they were like, Sean Miller is telling the, t- the team to run the offense and they don't run the offense. I guess that, but is that really the case? Because if it is, then you'd think the coach could do something about that. Well, I could, he could sub people in who will run the offense. If he has to make that point, when he shouldn't have to make it in February. Well, so, hey, get the ball to your best player, guys. He'll help you win the game. You want to win, right? And I think, and I think part of part of my frustration with the offense, and I've expressed it numerous times. Sometimes it's it's predictable. It's not aggressive enough, and sometimes it burns twenty seconds of them just trying to force feed the ball to Zeke Naji, and then they can do a double team, and it puts them in a tougher spot. I would rather, I would prefer that they would run more unique set plays that are to be less predictable. Because I think they could get him the ball more often if they would find, you know, instead of new and inventive ways to lose, new and inventive ways to get your best player the damn ball. <laughs> um, because otherwise, you know, there's, there's, there's like you can. We've watched enough of the games. Everybody kind of knows where. Just as fans, by osmosis, you understand where the ball's going, and the other teams have studied that. They, you know, they've had Arizona games circled on their, you know, calendars. Yeah. They've studied film. They, the player, the. Somebody like Peyton Pritchard knows exactly where Nico is trying to go with the ball, right? They they know what the tendencies are. They know what the offense is. You have to break off of that once in a while. Is that though, as a coach, you're relying on your talent to make it work, right? Like the system, it's not a bad system. Arizona's offense this season has been one of the better ones in the Pac-12 in terms of production. There are times where it's like, yeah, you may be predictable, but you can't stop it because the players execute at a high level. In this case, it's almost the same problem they had with DeAndre Ayton at times. They couldn't get him the ball, but there are instances where they should make more of an effort to do so. And that is on, that's incumbent on the coach, I think, to make sure his players... You know, like Zeke was 3 of 9 in this game, right? 7 of 10 from the free throw line. So he got fouled a lot. It wasn't like Arizona's trying to ignore him. And maybe part of the problem is they do have other options. Where Zeke's being doubled or he's not making getting wide open in the low block, okay, kick it around. Dylan Smith was having a good game. Where Nico could drive or Josh Green. So it's not like they're, they have to rely on Zeke, but there are times certainly late in games where it's like, you have a reliable option who's either going to get a look at the basket, like a layup or a dunk, or probably get fouled. Now, maybe, and I think we can move on to the next question, like the next one for this one, so you have a follow-up, is that if he was better with the double teams, it'd be a lot easier to try to force on the ball in those moments. Yeah, I mean, if like I was thinking, if you're, what can you do as a coach to try to f- force that? You know, maybe you have a couple of things where if you don't, if you take a shot before the ball's been swung one side of the court to the other at least twice and or it's gotten into the post and you jack a three, then you're out the next dead ball. Yeah. Because some, we still have a tendency to collectively shoot the ball from three too early. Like the NBA kind of gentleman's agreement of take the first open jump shot until the last two minutes of the <laughs> half. Like we have, we have guys that are early in the game they're eager to shoot and then by the time it gets to crunch time they're they lose it's that potato eager. at that point it's like yeah I don't, yeah you, you can do it i mean that dylan smith shot like it was looking like uh does anybody want to shoot the ball <laughs> i think he had shot one of those earlier in the game too and like many missed it but this yeah. time that was the one where zeke probably got over the back and they decided to call a jump ball with the guy reaching over his back to grab the ball oh pack 12 rests yeah never change <laughs> Hey, well, thanks, Ralph, for that comment. Uh, Scott Allen, AZ, at AZ Sports Guy, just said, hashtag bear down. Agreed. That, that seems less of a question and more of a declarative statement. It's great, though. I, do you, I have no problem I with mean, it. I mean, is he suggesting that we bear down? Because I would, I would tend to agree. 
after a loss, that is the time to bear down. Indeed, it is. But so that thank you, Scott, for that for that comment because I think on a day like today and a show like today, we kind of need that. Um, a guy who goes by Paul Pierce, whether he's actually Paul Pierce or not, I don't think it's former Boston Celtics and Brooklyn. That's great, Paul Pierce. But at PMPAZ65 on Twitter, he responded to the Wildcat Radio AZ account. He says, a question his was, why the disparate treatment of football versus basketball for foreigns? When a certain number 14 makes a crucial mistake late in a football game, he's a bum that costs us the game. Across the street in McHale, crucial failures are nobody's fault, and it's a team game. Discuss. It's a pretty loaded question. I, I'm going to let you take the first crack at it because I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a I, nice guy. I guess my, I guess my question to the question is, <laughs> is I, if I'm inferring it correctly, it seems like we've had number 14 football is well, quilting. Well, I, yes, I figured that one out. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, gotcha. I guess from a basketball perspective, I'm not sure who's referring to where it's nobody's fault because. Is he, is he referring? I think to he was Sean, saying is when Sean Arizona, when Arizona, I think what he's, what I think he's saying here is that. When Arizona football lost games, like, yeah, that's clearly Tate's fault. People are just quick to blame Tate. But with Arizona, people aren't apt to blame any individual. It's always a team issue. To some degree, it's because it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> to, if to you some, want to blame yeah. Josh Green for missing free throws against Oregon, blame Josh Green for missing the end of the free throws because that's a single moment. But in football, there are fewer single moments, I think, like that. Well, in in I don't think basketball objectively has as much of a game outcome dictated by one player, you know, a, a, a quarterback is one out of 11 guys on offense and one out of 22 guys on the field on offense or defense, 24 if you want to count the specialists or even more if you want to go to like the long snapper, right? So it's like... I think they're considered specialists as well. But, uh, you know, they're what, you know... There's a lot of players on a the small field percentage, There's a small percentage of the roster with a disproportionate impact on the game um, because the ball is literally in the quarterback's hands every possession and how they take care of the ball or don't take care of the ball, how they execute the offense, how they, you know, make great plays. It just impacts the game more than what your right guard does for most of the game. Oh, quarterbacks always get more of the blame and probably and, too much credit. Yeah. But I think that it's, I think you have to separate this question into two different things because part of the reason people were getting on Tate was because he burst onto the scene and it was just amazing player and never lived up to that status again. And his style of play changed. He wasn't running as much. He was inconsistent. He turned the ball over. Like His senior season, he turned the ball over more than he did the year before. I thought he was pretty good as a junior, actually. He was injured, but he was a pretty good passer. He took a step back as a senior. And you could point to a number of different reasons for that. His health, the coaching staff, play calling, the talent around him, the offensive line falling apart last season, I'm sure didn't help him. J.J. Taylor being hurt for much of the year. But certainly he... I would think you would agree, Brett, that he took more blame for last year's failures than he deserved. Like He wasn't yeah. the issue. He just wasn't the type of player. And we talked about this on the show. He wasn't the type of player who could make up for the issues. Whereas two years ago, as a sophomore, he was that good. He took an Arizona team that was at best average and got them to a bowl game because he was amazing for basically a month and a half. Yeah. He wasn't that type of player. So when Arizona needed him to elevate his game to get them to another level, he just couldn't do it. Yeah. And to, to to take it to back to the basketball team, like I guess where I get confused is I'm not sure who he's referring to when saying it's always just a team thing. Like, does he mean Sean Miller? Does he mean the media? Does he mean idiot podcasters such as us? Certainly not that. Uh, because well, certainly not that because we've leveled plenty of direct criticism at certain <laughs> players on the current no, basketball. But that's team. you know, but with, with basketball, 
Like, and, and it's the same thing with football. Like, no one player should ever be to blame for the game, no. right? Unless, unless in a bat, unless Khalil Tate with Arizona up one point, and instead of kneeling down, decided to run back to the his own end zone and take a safety to lose. Then you could maybe argue he, he lost the game. And if Arizona's up, like if Jamel Horn fouls a guy up one, you know, at midcourt shooting or whatever, when you don't need to foul them, maybe that you could argue say that exact moment. Like there's always moments you could say lose a game. Certainly, and players are part of those moments. If Josh Green makes a free throw, Arizona wins the game. If Nico Mannion makes three of his three free throws of one of them, maybe Arizona wins the game. If Christian Coloco, who is the best at everything in basketball except for free throws, makes two free throws, Arizona wins the game. So you can point to moments and players say, yeah, that player failed in that moment. But in basketball and really in football too, it's a collection of those moments that lead to a team losing. Well, I think I think in football also, especially when it comes to a quarterback, one or two plays, like one or two boneheaded plays, I would I don't know, say like fourth quarter interceptions, um, you know, or you know, pick sixes swing the outcome of the game far, you know, multiples, orders of magnitude higher than any one great basketball player. Although you could argue like if on pick sixes, did uh, the offensive line block the way we're supposed to? Did the receiver run the right route? Right, but I guess what I'm saying is like compared to if somebody takes a bad shot, okay, that's one out of 50 possessions. Yeah. Right? But you see it directly. You watch that player dribble the ball up the floor and take a bad shot. Yeah, but one, one, you know, basketball is a game of attrition and runs, right? Yeah. Football is a game of big plays and slow execution. But the big, you know, what's the biggest indicator of the likelihood of winning uh, winning or losing other than the score? It's probably the turnover battle. And who controls the turnover battle the most out of any players on the, be the field quarterback. is the quarterback. I was talking to a friend Sunday. He was an ASU fan. And he was saying he gets into, he gets doesn't get into like as crazy about basketball as he does football. Because basketball, we were talking, it's like basketball, there's so many plays that happen throughout the 40 minutes, or in the case of Arizona on Saturday, 45, where it's like, yeah, teams go on runs, but it's not like you ever watch a single play happen, like, that's the ball game right there. Like, until there's like two seconds left. If you Again, if Josh Green makes one of those free throws, that's the ball game right there. Whereas in football, every touchdown could be the ball game. Right. Or depending on what the scores when it happens. But like you don't know which play is going to be the one. But a big play could be the one that ends the game. Arizona goes up three nothing to start their game. They're not going to win the game three nothing in basketball. Right. Right. Like, you know, that. so it's hard. So he has a hard time. And that's I think kind of goes along with this is where football, you do make that one mistake as a quarterback. It could be the difference in the game when it happens. and You know what when it happens. You don't know which three pointer was the difference maker. Right. When it, until it, yeah. until the end of the game, you're like, oh, well, that was a big shot. <laughs> again, unless it's like the final minutes of the game, like that's the dagger or that's the game-winning shot at the buzzer. But you don't know that moment's happening until it happens. I mean, which of Peyton Pritchard's six threes won the game for Oregon? Right, right. Not any one of them or all of them. Yeah. You know, so it's that's I, guess, I think that's where it comes down to. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's the difference there. But uh, Paul Pierce, thank you for your comment, your question on that one, because it is an interesting discussion to have on that. And finally, Rob Barron, who you may know from Beta Rank fame, Yes. He just sent back Sean Miller. Signing day, A+. Plus, NBA draft day, A-. minus. The other 363 days of the year, question mark. Well, this year, it's actually more. 364 days. days. Get yeah. your facts straight, Come on, Rob. Rob. I thought you were uh, a math guy. Numbers guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, to be fair, like honestly, I don't know if you could give him an A+, plus for signing day, if the other 363 or 364 are not as successful. Because signing day is what gets you to now. Like if we thought he aced signing day last season, and we we did, 
But now we're saying, hey, maybe the point guard, the prize point guard, isn't quite ready to be a leader. That Josh Green isn't quite ready to be the type of like a Stanley Johnson or Aaron Gordon one and done. Maybe you say signing day isn't an A plus, right? Because coaching, like we, t- there are times we've talked about. It. Hey, save a timeout. Why are you calling that timeout when you have the TV timeout coming like right there? Or why don't you get the ball to Zeke Naji, right? Like there are things that Sean Miller can do better, of course, but he seems to have improved in a lot of ways this season. He put his players in position to succeed, right? That's all he, you can ask of your coach is to do that on game day. Now, granted, other times, recruit better. Make sure you get the right players. But if we're saying he did that, then we can't say he did it that losing because of coaching. At least they didn't lose to Oregon because of coaching because they put them in position to succeed. They just didn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we have enough time to go through all 363 or 364 days of the year. I, I mean, I bet that Sean Miller throws a hell of a 4th of July barbecue. <laughs> I, I'm guessing it's at least a solid B. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, but even, you know, for recruiting, you know, you don't recruit just on signing day. So to be able to have a, a successful signing day, that's a year-round, uh, you know, a year-round endeavor. Sure. Um, developing your team. You know, there's plenty of there's plenty of things you can criticize. I think Sean Miller, I think, is a hard person to grade right now because he's had no favors done for him the last couple of years between, you know, the athletic director, the athletic department, Pac-12 commissioner and ESPN's... Well, how much self-inflicted, too. He kept Book Richardson around for yeah, a while. I mean, well, you could argue Sean Miller's role in all that, too. We only know well, it's been reported and at least, quote-unquote, proven. So he's not he's not an innocent bystander who's caught up in this no. total hurricane well, of he's, terrible he, things. Like he's, he's, he's ultimately accountable. Like He has a role in all those things, yeah. right? Now, he now, it's not his fault his athletic director isn't great because he was hired under a different one. But the other stuff, the ESPN stuff, like Miller has some responsibility. Like how much? Well, that's up for the investigators to determine. Well, the, the, ESPN, courts, but the ESPN thing was kind of BS. But but if, if the Richardson thing never, Richardson thing never happens, they probably don't go down that road sure. with ESPN, right? Like sure. it's, it, it's all those are all those things are all connected to each other. So like I, I I'm a Sean Miller defender to the extent that hey, like nothing's been proven other than what we've heard, and until it is, it doesn't warrant him being fired or anything. Like he's not a proven cheater like some people like to say, but I can't get on board with him just like being a victim of circumstance for these last couple of seasons. No. I mean, uh, in terms of specific days of the year, I'm getting really tired of having them lose elite eight games coached by Sean Miller on my <laughs> birthday party. So, you know, on or around March 29th, uh, I, I, I don't give him a high grade. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me sad. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, if we're, I, I guess we haven't given Rob a, a grade, um, well, I haven't been to one of his Fourth of July barbecues either, so I don't. And you know, maybe he's does a he real... cook his steaks too much? Because I like mine rare, but I would settle for medium or medium rare. But if he makes them well done, then, ugh. Like, <laughs> like that would be bad. Then well, they should fire him. <laughs> you picked your, you picked a uh, that hill to die on, huh? Oh yeah, that one matters to me. When Sean Miller says, "You know, I don't really like bacon." <laughs> Well, I don't really like you, coach. Fire him now. How do you think about that? Uh, <laughs> you know, I it it's it's kind of hard because I think Sean Miller is adjusting to the modern college basketball age. I think he's adjusting to being at a blue blood type program in the modern college basketball age. Like it's and, different. And like, you know, is there a part of me that wonders if he his mindset and intensity and approach? 
as a as a game planner, as a game manager, as a player developer coach, does it work better at a smaller school with three and four star guys and maximizing that more than leveraging his obviously good recruiting abilities? Um, I do wonder that. Uh, but does that you know does that mean he's a better or worse coach or a better or worse recruiter? Because it seems like he can do what you want him to be able to do, but he can't seem to quite connect the dots in Lately. terms of you know and just. It's it's that thing where you know you're you're consistently one point shy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he, he when he got to Arizona, we all know that the Wildcats are going through a little bit of a rough patch with the interim coaches and Luke's departure. <laughs> so when he came in, first year wasn't great, but he got a pass. Then took him to the Elite Eight in year two. Then had a down year, and then got him back to I think the Sweet Sixteen loss to Ohio State. But it's still like, hey, this program's building. They're building a program. They're going to get to a point. And of course, the next two years after that were Elite Eight losses to Wisconsin, which were just absolutely brutal. Because both of those teams were good enough to be a Final Four team. Both were good enough to win a national championship. They just didn't. And since then, for Sean Miller, it's been kind of like a steady decline, right? Because they lost to Wichita State in the first round. Then you come back and you have the the Xavier loss in the Sweet 16 that you should have beat Xavier. If you lose to Gonzaga in the Elite Eight, fine, because you weren't the number one. I think there were two seed that year, Arizona. It was a surprisingly good Arizona team. You're like, well, he's getting the most out of this roster. And then they collapsed against an inferior opponent in the or Sweet 16. Don't forget Buffalo. Well, that's what I'm saying. I was going to get to Buffalo next. So for Sean Miller, the momentum that he had when he first got to Tucson clearly has stalled. The question is, and you can, and the investigation and all that stuff didn't help things. So the question is, can he get them going again? Can he kind of kickstart things and light that fire again? And we thought the recruiting class this year was going to be that. And it still might be, sure. But so far, it doesn't look like it. Like, this was supposed to be the revenge tour. This was supposed to be Arizona's back. Quit trying to defend your AZ Desert Swarm article. Nah, I stopped tour. with that one. It's, <laughs> but one thing I will say is... Kind of circling back to something we talked about earlier where Arizona doesn't have an, exper- an experienced point guard and that might be hurting them in these situations. James Akinjo coming in to be their point guard next season. Like If they have Brandon Williams, it's a different team this season. But having Akinjo coming in who's going to be basically a junior next season, right, a redshirt sophomore, so a junior with experience in this system, supposed to be a tough-nosed type of guy who I don't know if he's going to be a good shooter or a good player, but at least he'll be experienced. And when was the last time Arizona had an experienced, high-caliber point guard? TJ McConnell. Yeah. And that was Arizona's best. I'm not saying Akinjo's no, a very different player than TJ no, McConnell. I'm not saying he's going to be McConnell, but having that, that type of player, that type of experience and confidence at the point guard position is something Arizona could really use in the yeah. moments where they've been falling short. Because we asked, like Rob asked about the other 363 days. We'll just say basically the season, right? If Arizona wins these close games they've been in, their record looks a lot different. They're a top 10 team. And everyone's excited about them going into March Madness. But as it stands, they're not good enough in those areas. They're deficient. So I do think there is something to be said for that, where I'm excited or at least intrigued to see what they'll have next year because they will have some guys with experience. They'll have some freshmen, but they'll have Jordan Brown, who's going to be a year in the system. Akinjo, basically a season in the system. Jamal Baker back. I assume Ira Lee back. Coloco will be back. right? And who knows? Maybe some of the three freshmen will decide to give it one more year. Maybe Zeke Nacho said, I don't want to be a late 20s first-round draft pick, so I'm going to come back one more year and be a top 15 pick. Right? We don't know. We can assume they're all gone just for the sake of our own sanity, but they may not be. So next year, I'm not saying this year's team should be written off either, but I do think some of the flaws that this year's team has will not be as big of an issue next season. Whether that means they're any better or not, who the hell knows, but I do think that'll be different. I mean, there's a high chance they're going to have seven different guys on the roster, right? 
Um, and Dalen Terry looks like a really great recruit. You know, maybe not like the go-to guy, but a really versatile player. Jordan Brown now is going to be what three years removed from high school. Yeah, so he's going to be older, bigger, be stronger, physical, more physically yeah. mature. Like, I would love to see Zeke Naji with another year and twenty pounds on him next to Christian Coloco. With who also maybe you puts 20 you pounds? You don't be next to Krishna Coloco. You just enjoy the shadow he casts while he stands over you. <laughs> you just enjoy your time in his orbit. <laughs> um, and, you know, Akinjo is going to be a totally different kind of player than, than what we have. He's going to be more analogous to, like, a, a Mark Lyons point guard, I think. Which Miller's had success with. Which I think he'd be a great guy to have on the team right now. Maybe, you know, maybe Brandon Too Williams. Too old. If Brandon Williams was healthy this year, how much... How much of a difference would that make on in this In those team? final moments, you put the ball in his hands, let Nico yeah. play off the ball, and Williams could attack. You trust him. He was a good free throw shooter. And, and and you know, you 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 said that it seems like the, that Sean Miller has stalled a little bit. I would challenge that notion a little bit, considering... Because considering, you'll lose. Well, considering where we were 18 months ago, would you have ever no. thought that we'd be back you, in this kind of comp- where we're complaining about not winning a, the pack that's such a tight look at it though if you go just big picture the last time arizona had a run we're like oh this was a good team maybe even coached above their expectations was a lowry marketing year every year since then has been disappointed like disappointing sure. well yeah so like, compared to where we thought arizona was going to be two years ago yes this is light years better than i would have expected but big picture wise you look at the trend for arizona basketball it has not been going in a positive direction like yes it's gone up since last season but it's not nearly where it was four years ago. <laughs> we skipped over that part where there was like an ESPN story. But 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 that's yeah, all that's know, all part of the story. That's part of the narrative and well, part of the challenge they're and, facing. And that's where I guess I go back to my point of if any of those, if what if all three of those elite eight losses had made final fours and then they got blown out in the final four? How much more goodwill does he have? Sure, but the, I guess that's which the, kind of fits the narrative of one point, you know. Daylight, dollar short kind and of thing. You'll never convince me otherwise that if Brandon Ashley doesn't break his foot, Arizona yeah. doesn't win that championship, or at least go to the Final Four. So like, and I, but you can't say because of that, Shumner has a Final Four in his record. He doesn't. No, but if or if Ray Smith doesn't tear his knee three but times, that, and, and that's Arizona basketball, and that, those are things that Miller can't control. No. And I'm not in the Sean Miller fire him, replace him train. I'm I'm, I'm never the type of guy that says don't be so afraid that you can't do better to try. Yeah. Because if you think you can do better, if you think Sean Miller is the issue, then Arizona needs to move on. I don't think he's the issue, and I do think he can get them back to being where they were a few years ago. But until that happens, that doubt's going to be there. There's going to be questions like Rob's asking, what about the rest of it? Because if recruiting always seems good, if they have top five classes, top ten classes every year, and they get guys to the NBA every year, and they're making the Sweet 16 at best every year, there's a disconnect. And at that point, the discount would be probably be the head coach. That's that's all. I'm not there. Yeah. Because I like what they have. I think the guys they brought in as transfers that are sitting out this season and the recruiting class, which looks pretty good and has a chance to be really good if they land certain guys who are undeclared, then Arizona could be back. But again, it goes back to like, well, last year we were saying, just wait till next year. Well, next year is this year, and it's disappointing so far. So it's hard to be as excited about next year. It's like, well, the last time I said, wait till next year, it's going to be great. It's going to be the revenge tour. Well, it's next year revenge tour part two. <laughs> no, it's it's we're just revenge gonna, tour two electric boogaloo. Like, what is it next season? We're just going to say just wait until basketball season of an unspecified year. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's what it turns into. So just because Sean Miller has not made a final four doesn't mean he can't. Just because this team has struggled to close out games doesn't mean it can't actually do it when it matters in March. 
But until these things are proven, those doubts are going to be there and they're not all that unwarranted. That's all. So I think, Rob, thank you for that question because you're, it's unanswerable. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, send, send your best answers to dave.hiki at arizona.edu <laughs> because I'm pretty sure they haven't extended Sean Miller's contract since the they changed the clause after all that story. Oh, yeah, where if he did cheat or something. And or... It's, at some point, you need to have you know five years on your contract left to recruit, but you know we're kind of stuck in what do you do territory, and at some point we gotta you know do something or get off the pot. Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing. Like they can't be in limbo, and that's yeah. one thing too. With like a coach, like he can't be in limbo. Obviously, if he has years on his contract, you could assume Miller will be back, but you definitely can't get it to a point where it's like, is he? Because how does he recruit? You know, players want to come play for Sean Miller still. We see that just by the type of guys they're landing. So he's not toxic to high-end talent. But, yeah, at some point, if you do believe you need to move on, then just make the call and do it because you're not helping anyone otherwise. So thank you, everyone, who sent in their questions or comments about Arizona basketball because that's where they're at right now, Brett, is that I feel like everyone has a different opinion, and most people are probably right to some degree. If you think yeah. they're great, if you think they're bad, if you think Miller's fine, if you think he's the problem, if you think Nico Mannion's a bust or you think he still has potential, everything you might think is probably accurate to a degree, which means as they head to this L.A. road trip, who knows? It looks daunting because USC is pretty good, and UCLA just a couple weeks ago just destroyed Arizona in Tucson. I Arizona's played well on the road, four-game road winning streak <laughs> against lesser teams, of course, lesser opponents. Yeah, it's a confusing team to watch, and even yeah. more confusing when Pac when uh, when Bill Walton is on the call on Pac twelve <laughs> Network. <laughs> you know, you could put him on mute. Why would I do such a thing? Fair. I, that's that. I, I agree. I think he's delightful when Arizona's winning. Like I think I said that before. Like I realized I used to hate Bill Walton when Arizona was losing. I'm like, geez, Bill Walton's the most annoying commentator ever. This is stupid. But when Arizona wins, I'm like, yeah, he's fun. And I realized. The problem wasn't Bill Walton in terms of my enjoyment of one Bill Walton. It's directly related and correlated with, is Arizona winning or losing? That's it. You should you should try before a game he's calling, uh, get a couple spoonfuls of Bill's wacky <laughs> peanut butter. <laughs> but we're not going to touch talk long about USC and UCLA because Arizona could sweep, they could go 0-2, they could split either one of them. It's it's unknown, like how they bounce back. And that'll be interesting, how they bounce back from the Oregon game. Because if they play well against USC, I'll feel a little bit better because that Oregon game is tough. That was their moment. That was their chance to really make a statement, and they blew it. How do they respond to that? Are they fired up? Kind of like you know they were when they went to Cal and then Stanford. Or like they were when they went to Washington after blowing that game against ASU. How do they respond? Like so, like they have done a pretty good job of responding to those down moments. But this is a different animal. This is USC, who's a good team on the road. This is UCLA, who beat Arizona and is playing really good basketball. I think Seth Davis said he thinks they're the best team in the Pac-12 right now. Maybe not, but they're playing well, and they do have some talent. Clearly, they're going to be confident against Arizona in a place where Arizona has struggled to win. So it's it's an interesting road trip. I wouldn't call it big because, yeah, you sweep it, you feel better. But if you don't, you still feel like, if well, you, they're the same. If you win one of two or still in, in this weird back-and-forth yeah. ping-pong of purgatory of we're kind of good. So I guess the only thing I'd like to see, besides two wins, would just be the maturity to bounce back and play hard and well. Whether you, If you win or if you lose the game and play well, fine. But show that you can do that. 
So you can play well because they played well against Oregon and just happened to lose. Can you play well on the road against USC? Can you play well on the road against UCLA? If you can, then you're probably going to win at least one of those games, yeah. possibly even both. But just look like a team that, yeah, you're good. They were good. You, they just have to be a little bit gooder that day. I know. <laughs> Great. You, 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 you write, right? I write good. <laughs> you write extra duper good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's what I want to see. Just show that maturity. That's I'll, it. Yeah, I want to see Nico Mannion. At, can, he played on offense fairly effectively in within himself and within the game the last against the Oregon schools. I want to see that. I'm real curious to see how our bigs react against the UCLA bigs who are fairly just large people and tough and physically mature, and they kind of ate our bigs alive in the Kinda. first game. Well, I mean, they did gooder in the post. They were the goodest. <laughs> Bad day. <laughs> the Godestest. Oh, they went full Coloco. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I, I'm actually really curious to see as Coloco seems to be getting more more minutes, yeah. which is a delightful thing for us Coloco nuts <laughs> to uh, see on the. On is that the court. what we called now? I don't know. I'm th- trying it out. <laughs> it kind of flowed well. I thought. I, th- I think it works. We can, we can see what people think about yeah, well, it. That's it. We'll take it for a spin, see what people think. Get back to it. Ha- hashtag Coloconuts. <laughs> okay, John Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, by the way, before we close out, Saul Bookman, I got a bone to pick with you. You started your show this week with welcome, welcome. You're like, I don't want to do that anymore because that's what John Oliver does. And you, you claim to not know John Oliver did that way. I can respect that. I'm not going to call you a liar. But then you decided to say, what's up, everybody, to start your show. That's mine. So Saul... I'm not going to challenge you to a duel because I think you're bigger than me and I will lose. He's a big guy. He is. And I like so. I don't want to fight you. Also but true. back off of what's up, everybody. <laughs> that belongs to us here on Wildcat Radio 2.0. But whatever happens this weekend in L.A., Brad, it'll be an interesting road trip for sure. And spring football starts next week, right? Yeah, I think, I think first practice is Monday. So we'll have some things to talk about next week that aren't necessarily just basketball. But until all that comes to fruition, bear down. Bear down.